Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What happens now for Mauricio Pochettino and Tottenham Hotspur? We've got more fallout for you from Bayern Munich's massive win in London against Spurs on today's Gagan Pod. David Wiener with you once again, joined by Michael Bridges and Craig Moore. We talk all Champions League, Manchester United and Arsenal, all the big issues in the Premier League. We look ahead to Leicester against Liverpool and passionate analysis of Newcastle United. So much to get into. Let's get started. Richie, Maury, what, what, what a morning. Maury, I'll just come to you in a second because, Richie, I'm happy to play therapist here. We can play therapist or podcast session here. <laughs> still crying. We've had about an hour since that to digest it. It still hurts. What happened? It was a shambles. It was an absolute shambles. The first 30 minutes, Tottenham came out with an intent that I hadn't seen well, maybe once this season against Crystal Palace at home when I was at the match at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And the first 30 minutes, they came out with an intent. They looked up for it. They looked fresh. Pochettino left out. Ericsson, I felt, was a, a bad move, but he said he was feeling tired and he needed a, a new lease of life. And I thought it was going to be a, an incredible day when Son put them 1-0 up. And then Bayern reacted very, very quickly, mate. And oh, they, they just look superior in front of goal. They were so clinical. Tottenham lost the way and absolute disarray, and I'm still hurting. And I think, Bridgie, you're right. Clinical was the, the word for, for Bayern Munich. I mean, Spurs had a fantastic start. Their energy, high press, forcing errors. Um, Son eventually gets his goal, um, but it's his third siding. Yeah? So, like, Tottenham really started well, and they got that goal, uh, but the game... It swung very quickly because, unfortunately, they couldn't hold on to the lead. So Kimmich scores and responds fairly quickly. And, and a killer blow just before half-time, Lewandowski, which was a fantastic finish. And then all of a sudden now from, you know, being riding high, flying, fans behind you, you're going in at half-time 2-1 down. Um, you're hoping then, obviously, they come out second half, um, showing energy again knowing that uh, they can get the, the supporters behind them and get a goal and all of a sudden there's a big lift again. But I think we've seen a very, very good Bayern Munich side. Uh, you look at the seven goals that they scored, picking out corners, ruthful, uh, sorry, yeah, ruthful, ruthful in, in front of goal. Um, Gnabry, man, unbelievable. Um, I, I think as, as the game went on, um, Spurs looked a little bit disjointed and... They looked worn out and, and in total and, disarray. And meant, you know, just when you're looking sometimes on the, on the players' faces and that, like I says, really disjointed to, uh, towards the back end and and looked lifeless, Bridgie, which is a big, big concern. Um, it's a worry when you see a team capitulate like that in the mannerisms that they did. I think there's an underlying issue here at Tottenham Hotspur itself. Don't know whether it's with the players in Levy, whether it's Pochettino in Levy or whether it's a combination of all three. There's something just not quite right for the width through the toweling after such a brave start. That's what I want to ask because at 3-2 down, 4-2 down, you can go superior side, incredible f- 
3-1 down, whatever it was with that margin, you can go superior side, outplayed. How critical is that swing and how much do you read into the fact that it essentially was a capitulation and you're sitting there going, what does this mean? And, you know, you said on air that this might throw Mr. Pochettino over the edge in terms of being at Tottenham. How significant is the fact that his players basically went to 7-2. And the fans love these players, the fans love the club, but I have never heard the boos that rang around after the game towards the players because the fans recognised what had just happened on the park. Yes, it was clinical, Bayern Munich were fantastic, but you cannot get outdone. I mean, this is a Champions League finalist from last year. There's been a lot of talk, there was you know not a lot of recruitment. Pochettino also saying, I've taken this club as far as I can. That doesn't go down well with players as well. Um, so there's there's a lot of things that are going on that they're going to have to quickly try and sort out against Brighton in the next Premier League game. And if they can't, um, I mean, I, st- I still can't see Pochettino wanting to be there, um, if I'm being all honest with you, because I don't think he can take them any further. I, I said in our first ever Gagan pod um, of this season that they overachieved, Tottenham overachieved, and that's coming from a Tottenham Hotspur fan last season. I felt that we scraped through, we got in the finals by default. Uh, I mean, you make your own luck, but it's it's a tough pill to swallow. And this is a reality, a wake-up call for all the players and everybody involved at Tottenham Hotspur. Sorry, Bridget, but you are a Spurs fan. So the the word on the street is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's it's more with, with, with Levy and, and the club rather than a, a Pochettino um, losing a group of players because you've got three or four players that are coming up to the end of their contracts that haven't been able to uh, to renegotiate for whatever reason. He's sticking by these players. These players are playing week in, week out. Yeah, right. And a lot of other managers would have said, if you're not committing and you're in the last year of your contract, you're not going to play. So, yeah, it, it's got to be the man up above that is trying to save the pennies, scrape the pennies. And it's not good for team camaraderie. If you've got a few dis, disgruntled players in a dressing room, I've witnessed this at Leeds United when we went through a massive, massive loss of players due to financial situations. Tottenham aren't struggling financially, for, well, for all I know. they got the new stadium. Levy is the man that has tight reined on this, and yeah, the, there's a there's a lot needs to be said. Right. So even though you don't think Pochettino has necessarily lost the dressing room because of what he has done over the last five years, you're saying that in a football club, that management upstairs can trickle down into the dressing room. Well, 100 percent, because you've got players that are ambitious. They're looking to build on last season. They get to a Champions League final. Um, now I understand what Bridge is saying in in terms of the. That, that Spurs have maybe overachieved. But you've, you've, you've got a lot of ambitious players there. You've got an ambitious manager that's probably saying, OK, so are we able to spend? Are we really able to go out and strengthen this team and add depth? Because that's probably one, one criticism uh, to Spurs, even like last season. So when you're, you're playing in the Premier League and you're backing up in Europe and all that sort of stuff, we're, we're going to be tested. We're going to be stretched to your squad-wise. So how ambitious are we? And are you going to allow me to go into the market and... and, and really build a, a, a strengthened squad, a deeper squad, that's going to allow us to challenge um, not only European trophies, but the Premier League. I mean, because we know that there needs to be improvement to get anywhere near Liverpool or Man City. They haven't showed that ambition. So, so what happens now? Because you have to wait to at least January if you want to dip into the transfer market. You said this morning on, on the show that you, there was a fear around Pochettino's future. He is still there as we speak. He spoke very calmly and diplomatically in the post-match press conferences, which was probably a wise thing to do. But what happens now, do you think? What, look into your crystal ball. You don't think he's the man to take them out of it, but how long is his patience going to last there before 
he perhaps does go before his stock falls. I cannot see the club sacking Pochettino. That, that's for certain because of what he's done and where he's taken this football club. I think his destiny is in his own hands. If he feels that he has either lost the dressing room or he can't take them any f- further, he will make that decision. And it was quite scary after the game, hearing from a few few people over there that his mannerisms were out of sort. The players were in the dressing room for half, uh, 15 minutes to half an hour. He wasn't really... In, in on that and didn't really say much to the players he let them get on with it and sort it out and I don't think that's a bad thing because at the moment of time if you go in there and start ranting and raving you can cause even more drama especially when you're emotional potentially, yeah. potentially going in and saying the, the the wrong things you're always going to take stock time is a million dollar question um, because I believe what, what he's done in the last five or six years he'll get a job when he decides to leave, if he decides to leave Spurs. He'll be lining up. Yeah, top five leagues in the world, top two clubs in every one of those countries. If any of those jobs become available, he's going to be one of the first names that will be thrown into the mix. So I think the ball lies in in his court, Bridgie. It's his call. Mm -hmm. Do you think he's lost the dressing room? I can't see how you can lose a dressing room with the what he has done for these players and where he's taken this football club. Um, But again, we're not inside... We don't see the day-to-day training regimes. I've been at some clubs where you have had success and, you know, I look back and I look at my time at Leeds United, Eddie Gray was a catalyst behind the driving force. Well, he was the manager, but we used to get a lot more intake and buy-in from, from Eddie Gray. He had a lot more say than what we actually, when we were young, give him, give him credit for. I think if O'Leary was a new job, the training, training methods that we had under him um, were very, very... I look tactically, I think we really lacked in that area because then we got Terry Venables coming. I've worked under Bobby Robson. It was so much more methodical. Sam Allardyce, after that, they were much more tactically aware. They gave us so much more information. We had nutritionists and we never had that at Leeds. It was, you know, we're buying the best players. And I just think we, I still respect everything that O'Leary done because where he got us to too. Now, I know Pochettino's got these players to where they are now. They've got the club, but he would have all the tools in his repertoire uh, and I cannot see any disharmony in, the, in there. If, if if they are, I think you're mad because you you know he's put millions of price tags on top of them, every single player, and they've got the Champions League semi-finals. So the fans, myself included, have been very, very happy with this guy. We're, we're guessing. We can only really go off of what we see. So body language and, you know, when you see the likes of Poch talking to, you know, subs that are, that are coming on to, to, to the game to hopefully make an impact and all that sort of stuff, it doesn't look like a negative kind of uh, relationship with any of these players that are coming on. He's, you know, he's got, he's got the arm around them. They're, they're not trying to get away. I mean, you can tell a lot from body language yeah. as well. So I, I don't believe that there's an issue with, with Poch and the players. But what happens as a player? Um, when you just the magic of the coach's words just starts not to have the same impact on you. Is, is that something that you see here? What has has it had something that you've experienced where you, you want to keep going, you want to buy into it, but you might maybe think, oh, I've heard that before, or you know, this five years of this or something like that. It's a natural thing to to, to potentially happen with, with with players and also you know with staff members, backroom staff, head coaches. When you're anywhere for a certain length of time. It's, it's about continually evolving, Bridgie, you know? And that's a big thing. Hearing the same voice, the number, the turnover at Tottenham Hotspur with new players coming is very, very few and far between. They take the players on the long long contracts. Arsene Wenger, Alex Ferguson, 
So it's long sustained success, but they've got a turnover of players. So the the you know the players are coming in are going oh this is fantastic we've got the new manager. So you you still get that luxury and that enjoyment. Whether they've become stale at Tottenham with the training methods, I do not know because like you say we are not there. But there's not enough turnover of players to keep that enthusiasm going with the new Fresh. voices coming in to freshen everything up. So that is a massive issue for me, um, having played in a career where the turnover used to be frequent. Anything else you want to get off your chest? Yeah, Aurier, the right back, the full back, Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> so he that gets, was a fishing question. You, you've got me straight away there, Dave. I'm telling you, man, this guy's an absolute liability. He got done with the red card um, in the last match against Southampton because what he did, he turned his back on play. He got caught out and didn't watch his... He was ball watching. So he's having to track back towards his goal. He's pulled the player down. It happened two or three times tonight when he got exposed in his right back position. He's a defender. First and foremost, you're a defender. And he, he's trying, you know, he's out of position, he's out of shape. And, and Nab, uh, Gnabry absolutely destroyed him. And he just looked out of sort. And I, I think that Trippier at Atletico must be absolutely delighted and laughing, thinking that, you know, you've, you've got left with this. See you later. 100%. Well, just a note on uh, the finishing that you mentioned earlier, more just to round out with a, a tribute to Bayern, who were ruthless, as you said. Uh, the old expected goals stat, Bayern, or Tottenham, 1.93 goals today. Bayern, 1.26. They scored seven. Wow. They scored seven. I think that probably sums up just how brilliant they were in front of goal today. But it wasn't just that game. There was so much on this morning. Probably no other massive surprises, but a lot of big players scoring. The one that probably catches my eye a lot is uh, Real Madrid, 2 all at home to Club Bruges. First time they haven't won both games to start, or gone without a win. First two games of the, of the Champions League campaign within a whisker of losing three games at home in the Champions League? Madness. Madness. You know, and, and with with recent results, uh, after the, the heavy defeat to PSG, match day one in the Champions League, they, they've had some good success domestically, um, getting back on track, top of the league. You know, kind of thinking, you know, Modric coming back in, you're thinking, here we go, they're getting back to, 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 to the Real Madrid that we know. And yet, um, you know, this morning they're 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 two down. They're two down to, you know, to to a team, Club Bruges, who very hard working. Um, you know, got a lot of players that um, are playing at a level and want to make names for themselves to eventually one day play at a club like Real Madrid. Um, you know, you've got uh, Dennis who scored two goals today. And what and, about his and, finishing? And, and by the way, and and get a look at these two finishes Clinical. because clumsily clinical. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we've seen. I don't know. I've seen some recent stuff of of Ibrahimovic doing the Matrix kind of thing. But this 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 Dennis has found, I think, a new way to to, to score goals. He's done a one-two with himself for the first one. Did he mean the second, or was that a trip? No, he was definitely tripping. Uh, but but uh, you know, it's whether or not. Uh, look, he's definitely tripping over. He's kept. He's managed to keep his feet. He's kind of over the ball and still been able to to, to dig it out. Um, Courtois got Courtois, done by the what about, Courtois gets a hook at half time, so who knows that? what's that, that that that's all about. But Real Madrid, fair play to them, are able to get themselves back into the uh, the game. We were watching it, Bridgie, and remember we were like Ramos. We we go this this, this it's offside, it's offside because we didn't originally get the the normal line that we're seeing in the EPL now on that the. The shoulder, oh mate, it's or a, the toe, or the elbow, unbelievable. But when when, you, when they do show you that, yep. Um, Captain gets them back into the game. They finish the game strongly. End up with a draw. Um, from where from where they had to come from in terms of being being two 0 down, lots of stuff. They could have easily gone on and, and, and won the game, but 
And to be fair, then when they went 2-0 down, the character that they showed at the Bernabeu to get back in at the fans were obviously give, disgruntled. Ramos was going mad as the players were walking mm-hmm. off. But they, they, they controlled the second half completely and Ramos again was the catalyst, the captain, the leader that got them back into the game and Casemiro got, got them and they needed that. And I still think that, like I said, I still think there's upside in this Real Madrid side. Modric made a, a bad error for the second goal. Um and that's just so unlike uh, Modric, you know. He's just come back in bridge. He, he, he actually um, looked looked good in the Madrid derby. And, and I felt the longer the game that went, the, the stronger Real Madrid looked. Benzema had a fantastic header and the goalkeeper saved. So, look, I, I think that Modric is only going to be able to improve. And we know that if, if Modric is playing and playing at a level then Real Madrid will be a top team again mm. because all of a sudden that supply, that control is going to be there again. They certainly put out a fire because top of the La Liga uh, has taken some pressure off Zizou, even though there's that feel that there's just something not quite there like it used to be. But a loss here would have brought those stories back a little bit like the Spurs one, but they've put well, the fire out. Well, it could have out. been one manager out, one manager in the Ooh, other way, couldn't it? Yes. Ooh, but we'll leave it there. Yes. So running through some other results... <laughs> Atalanta, oh, what a shame for them. The 95th minute they went down at home, although it was at the San Siro to Shakhtar Donetsk. Galatasaray lost 1-0 at home to PSG. Maru Icardi with his debut goal for them. Uh, Red Star Belgrade, great scenes with Milos Degenek's side. They're coming back from 1-0 down to Olympiacos. Amazing scenes at home. Manchester City could have won 10-0, but they won 2-0 against Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, Juventus 3-0 against Bayer Leverkusen, who actually had more ball than them, but uh, they were clinical, and it was the Gonzalo Higuain show. And look at Moscow nil. Atletico Madrid too. All about Yao Felix there, the youngest ever scorer for them. Uh, gents, what took your fancy uh, out of the rest of those results? Yeah, I, I look, I'm, I guess Atletico Madrid, I'm always, I've got a fascination about Atletico Madrid because of, uh, I guess, the energy and, and, and the way that the coach Diego Simeone is. And I think you're kind of drawn to that because um, it's it, it feels real, it's emotional. It's kind of what people want to see. They are looking to, to certainly uh, transition to a new brand of football. And let's not forget, they have, over the last two seasons, spent a lot of money. I think it was €150 million Euro last year. and 250 this time. 250 this year. So they, they're now having to, to shake that tag of being the, the smaller, the under, underdog tag. You know, We know how difficult they are to break down and, and what type of team they are. Now there's a little bit more pressure on, on being a team that um, can be dominant, that can play a more expansive game. Jao Felix is a wonderful signing. And, and when we've not seen the best of Jao Felix. He's still a young lad and he's going to get better and better and better. But I'm just really, really fascinated by the journey and how, again, we spoke about coaching and, and, and the importance of being able to evolve. Um, and this is now a transitional period for Atletico Madrid. And I think that they're, they're, they're doing well. Don't be fooled by the one nils, one nils, you know, nil nil in the, in the derby and all that sort of stuff. I think it's something that's going to take a little bit of time, but again, they're in a handy position in La Liga, and and there were fifteen dollars to win La Liga this year, and that probably the if there's any if you look at outside odds, I'm not a gambling man, but if you look at outside odds, that for mm-hmm. me was probably one of the craziest bets of this season. Mm-hmm. Thinking what was going on with Messi being out early and the transition that Real Madrid are in and especially the players that Atletico brought in. I think they're going to have another cracking season. But they're not winning it. 
I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying, mate, you can have your 15 bucks or 20 bucks, whatever. No, not, no, we'll have, not, a bottle, we'll have a league. bottle of red on it. All right, no problem. Well, they're only a point off the, off the, off the pace with Real Madrid at the moment, and you, you never know what the next twist and turn there at the moment is, particularly given the Bernabeu is not the fortress that it once was. I'll tell you what, he might want Diego Costa to put a few of his sitters away just quietly. <laughs> that was got to be miss of the, that's got to be miss of the season in the Champions League till the end of the competition. Nobody's going to miss more than that. Uh, sorry, worse than that this season, unless I was playing. <laughs> and Bridget, anything else from you this morning across the games? Yes, it was the Manchester City 2-0 result um, against Dinamo. And it wasn't until the 66 minute. I mean, the com- I think the stats were ridiculous. 82% possession for City, yeah. but they just couldn't find a way. So Sterling comes on, 66 minutes, gets the goal. Starts ticking, the start of fine away, and then another substitute, Foden, comes on and gets the results. So that was a huge get-out-of-jail card for Man City, getting being able to, to put the ball in the back of the net after so much dominance. But it was the comments from Pep Guardiola trying to rally round the fans to turn up and watch Champions League football. I find that absolutely incredible. Because the City fans, I don't think they've had a massive Champions League tie at their stadium thus far where they've really embraced it or got behind it. Um, but I just thought it was a, a really bad PR stunt that Pep had to go out and say that when it's, not, it's, he's not bothered about that. He wants the results. He doesn't care who turns up, but he's had to say that and I found it really sad. It is a bit of a strange one. I remember, and Bridget, you remember maybe the late nineties, early two thousands, a little bit of the Italian teams, the, the, the Italian teams weren't, unbelievably supportive of the European competitions, even the Champions League, even the earlier stages. Um, and, I, and obviously, Richard said to us uh, this morning about the, you know, the draw and, and maybe, you know, I was saying like they're not getting the big boys and all that sort of stuff. And, and, I, and I do kind of understand that as well. But I think, like I says, I've, I've seen it before, you know, where you're playing against the Juventus that are, that are the CDR champions, all that sort of stuff. And I've played away to Juventus. And as much as it's intimidating because I was a young lad, it wasn't a... That's a great call, you know. It wasn't a packed house. No, because you know? AS Roma, um, Milan, uh, I'm trying to think, who was the other one we played against? Um, Lazio, they were never full never full houses when I look back at that. And yet on the return leg in England, everything was packed at Elland Road. And yeah, that's a, that's a very good point, mate. What, what is that? Is it a complacency? Is it a preference over City Hour? In this instance, the City fans prefer in the Premier League. Is it is it perhaps taking it for granted that they've made it because City are now there every single year? I think it's a preference. I, I think when when you speak, there's a lot of City su- uh, supporters out there now that have, that have only come into good times. So mm. I can understand that then people might say, yeah, well, there's this um, expectancy of, you know, like all of a sudden now it's not really the fan, you're, you're, it's the corporate and, and entertain us kind of thing. Um, but look, I, I think in general, I think it's just a tournament that, that probably people at Man City, because of the success that they have had, don't and, and, and will not get excited until it gets to the, you know, the round of 16, the, the quarters, the semis. And at the end of the day, fans are spending a lot of money. Yeah. Day in, day out, supporting their football clubs. It is it is something that you want to see in terms of full houses, full stadiums. It's great to support your, your team and it helps them get over the line bridge. It, it is really sad because people ask me, you know, for tickets to games over in England, can you help us get some for like Anfield and Spurs grounds? I'm like, I always say it, it's tough. The best place if you want to go and watch is Man City because I can get you easy <laughs> access tickets. It, it's, it's really yeah. sad to say that, but it is. There are a lot more already available. I don't know whether that's because the the stadium is 
is bigger than the actual farm base. I can't see that. I don't. I don't know. But it's 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 one place that it is easy access, and especially in Champions League nights because it's it's quarter full. Well, well look, Dinamo Zagreb, Atalanta, Shakhtar Donetsk. Not the biggest draw cards on the planet, but the test will come if and when they get deep into the tournament. We're going to do it all again on Thursday. If you listen, don't know when you're listening to us. Uh, hopefully, you know you, this podcast is available all through the week. But 3 a.m. or 2:55 a.m. on Thursday morning, Genk Napoli, Slavia Prague, Borussia Dortmund. That's an interesting game after. Slavia Prague was so impressive in the opening round against Inter Milan and Borussia Dortmund are still on a point and have dropped a few domestically as well 5am we headline with Liverpool Salzburg Zenit Benfica RB Leipzig against Lyon Valencia against Ajax Lille against Chelsea which is your free game on Optus Sport and our main game is Barca versus Inter a quick point boys what are you most looking forward to tomorrow? I'm very excited to be calling the main one uh, tomorrow. Uh, I think it's a fantastic match. Like I said, Barcelona probably not, not hit their straps yet. Um, Inter Milan, like I says, I mean, I know Lukaku, I believe, is out for, for this yeah, match. Quad injury. Quad injury. Um, Sanchez, we we know of of his recent times in the in the UK, but obviously a lifeline in terms of um, going out to show people what he's he's capable of to, to, to you know, I guess just to get back out and, and freshen people's minds. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, he, he did score a goal and get sent off for diving at the weekend as well. So he's certainly still got us uh, talking talking about him. But I think this has got the ingredients to be a, a fantastic match. And I'm really excited, looking forward to it. Leipzig versus Leon. Looking forward to seeing... Something different. Something different, yeah. just I really like watching um, Red Bull. And there's just something about them. I think they're going to do really well this, this season in this tournament. They've got the energy levels are through the roof. They're doing very well at youth level as well. And we're really looking forward to seeing how that one pans out. Very nice. And of course, Inter Milan have won six domestically in a row with Antonio Conte in charge. Massive game on Thursday. And then they look forward to playing Juve. What a game in Syria on the weekend. Now, two clubs that won't be in the Champions League, they'll be on our screens on Friday morning in the Europa League, a Manchester United and Arsenal. They played out a one-all draw on Tuesday morning. You would say this match would historically be a ding-dong affair, a thrilling encounter. Yeah, it had a few moments at the end where it was exciting. But overall, I'll tell you what summed it up for me. At about 35 minutes in, the co-commentator, Jim Beglin, says, are we watching mediocrity here? Yep. Is this what this game has become? And I think he summed it up in four very succinct words. I missed him. I missed that comment because I actually fallen asleep on 25 <laughs> minutes, I've got to be honest. And you know what was funny, Dave? We, we show the on the Optus Sport app, we have the mini matches. Yeah. So it's 23 minutes of extended highlights. You didn't fall asleep in the mini-match, surely. I, I almost did, man. I'm telling you, yeah. the, the actual, I felt for the guy that was producing and getting the clips for this game because the highlights and the extended highlights, we normally see shots or chances created on goal. It was a cross into the box that the keeper came and grabbed and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Is this what Manchester United and Arsenal have become? I remember, even when I, even when I was playing, but I remember watching the games when you had Keane against Vieira in the tunnel. There was passion there was hatred between the clubs. This was like a, uh, it was it was like a friendly game. Well, you, I, I, it was disgusting. You know what it was? It was eighth versus eleventh. But yeah, like I said, it wasn't um, it wasn't unfair in terms of the you know it was basically you've got two teams now that are not the the two teams of old that that we all know. I remember when in the early days in, in the nineties when when I was over in the UK and the whole of the UK would stop for this match. And, and and the build-up, and we'd all be talking about it leading in. We'd, we'd still all be talking about it days later. Now it's kind of like, 
Yeah, okay, that was that was a game, was a fantastic move on. So that kind of shows you where the two clubs at this moment in time are at. It's almost like both managers were feeling the pressure and they've had a little handshake before the game and gone, listen, both settle for a point because one of us loses it, you know, we're in a lot of a lot of hurt here. And it, it, that's how it panned out with the players. I just thought it was kind of like, yeah, you have it, we'll have it. There was, it was lacklustre, it was boring, and it's not what you expect from a Premier League game with two powerhouses in history. Yeah. And it's, I think what speaks volumes is it was a Monday night football mm. game on a week where there's Champions League. I mean, fancy that, 10 years ago or so, they should be playing on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night instead they're the Monday night game. You talk about the ambition, just to round that off, I mean, Arsenal haven't won there since 2006. They've probably got a, not a better opportunity than taking on a team that was sapped of confidence and with injury riddled. What did you make of the fact that Emery pretty much, as you said, sat back and went, we're still going to make you play through us and, and we're not going to go and have a crack from the get-go. Yeah, they look, they look scared. Like I say, they were, they were because of the history and the record that they had travelled there to Old Trafford, it, it's not a, not a good record. I think it was 13, they haven't gone then, 12 or 13 games and got a, got a win. Yeah, 2000 and, 2006. I mean, it goes back a long time. So that was kind of the fear factor. They didn't go there. The only positive stat that I read was Aubameyang and his, his actual scoring record at this moment in time. And it proved it because he got the goal. But apart from that, I was looking and thinking, this is, it's not good reading. It, and obviously, Unai Emery recognised that and he thought, you know what it is, right? Let's just try and come away from here with a point. And, and, it, and it's, it's not good. We just watched a Champions League game where two teams have gone at it in Bayern and Tottenham Hotspur. This week, it was fantastic football to watch. Not a great result for Spurs. That's what the fans want to see. Nobody wanted to see that game. <laughs> and I certainly didn't after 25 minutes. And, and the reality is these two teams now, and, and Man United more so, with the scheduling that they have, they, they, they don't have the depth. They're going to struggle week to week in the, in the, in the Premier League, let alone you know the focus of, of Europe as well. I mean, the last tie against... Um, uh, and, um, in the in the Europa League, the Europa League. Astana, Astana. Yep. Astana. They, they made nine changes. Where they're not going to be able to continue to do that because they don't have enough bodies on the ground. You know, they're picking up injuries. Uh, they don't have a. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Deep squad, obviously they've, they've moved players on. But the pressure to get results as well. If you if if you're in a dodgy position, are you really going to have the kahunas to change the to make the changes, and not put your strong stronger side out? That's another big thing for Ollie. It, it is, but it's it's one of those ones, Bridgie, where the amount of changes that were made against uh, Astana at home. So I remember saying before, I'm doing a preview and all that. What's your, what's your thoughts? And I go, Man United should go to town here. You know, this is a great opportunity to get confidence. Could have easily been the, been the case with all the changes. I mean, Rashford could have had a, a hatful, um, you know, and at the moment he's sort of like he, he's had a few niggles. And a, again, let's not forget that he's 21 years of age. Uh, I think it is a little bit unfair to, to put, and again, shows you where Manchester United so are now at. we've got Greenwood. Right yeah. now. Greenwood um, and Rashford. I mean, they're, they're young, young boys, 21 and 17, leading... Uh, and expected to score all the goals for, for Manchester United at the moment. So it shows you 
exactly where the football club is at the moment. You know, your Dwight, your, your Dwight Yorks, your Andy Coles, your, your Rude Van Nesselrooy's, these kind of players, they were experienced players. We're expecting, and Man United fans, people in general are expecting these young boys to do it, and I think it's a little bit... Ibrahimovic, Wayne Rooney. Ibra, sorry, I missed out a couple, yeah, but I, I, was, I was looking at you like, come on, Bridgie. No, 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 <laughs> just getting them out there. But like you say, it's a lot of pressure for a big, you know, commercially one of the biggest clubs in the world. 17-year-old and a 21-year-old, it's, it's a... I think Ollie and the club are regretting not getting that number nine that they were sought after at, before the season started. Yeah, it's extraordinary squad mismanagement. So they uh, they go to AZ Akma, uh, 3 a.m. or 2.55 a.m. on Friday morning Australian time and Arsenal host Standard Liège. You mentioned the number nine, Mario Mandzukic is back in the rumours. Again, he was left out of Juventus' squad for the Champions League. They're talking about that being a, a January signing as well, but... He said what? Speaking of United's uh, transfer policy, uh, one that came up this week was Ivan Perisic, who was, is part of Bayern Munich's squad, and he said that he was on the cusp of a move to Manchester United before he went to Bayern. And, and it said, it was painful for me, but I don't want to go into the details. I only found out myself the real reasons two years later. I guess, first of all, just talking about that specifically, I mean, how much does United crave an experienced player in that attacking third and is Mandzukic the type of player or a Perisic how much difference would that have made um, if they had someone like that right now is it one player the difference that you're talking I don't think it's one player I, I think it's um, I think it's a few because again you look at someone uh, like McTominay in the in the middle of the, the field again developing well but because Pogba's been poor Let's be honest, he's been poor. All of a sudden now, again, the, the pressure heaped on this lad, who's a young lad, to, to be the leader uh, of, of the engine room. I believe that they do need a, that balance of of youth, of, of, of good players that we know that Manchester United always have coming through, but mixed with that experience. The, the names that you mentioned, you know, Perisic is a, is a fantastic player, fantastic player. Um, and wherever he's been, he's kind of been a shining light, very uh, attacking-minded, a player that can, can work the full length of either side very dangerous um and just continues to get it to get out a little bit like i mean james hopefully will go on to be a top top player and has showed very very early about his his potential we were talking about 15 million signing for united you're expecting to sign that player not to be mm. a shining light this season that's mm. one for the future but he's come out and thought you know what it is he's one of the players that's actually thought i'm going to grasp this opportunity and make something happen here while the rest of them are are dwindling and mctominay exactly. is trying as well He's had some good performances, but again, it's not quite... You haven't got the spine of the seniority yes. and the leaders in the United camp at this moment yes. in time. Just on Paris, it's just, it's just a general uh, notion of transfers. What is it like as a player? Because he's picked himself up and dusted himself off after that. What is it like when you don't, for either of you or of players that you've... Yourselves or players that you've worked with, where you don't quite... You've had the dream, it's in front of you, and then it's taken away from you, and you've got to regroup and keep going. Pretty impressive what he's done. What's that like? I, I can speak about one story, and it is a true story because it's, it was with myself, uh, Bridgie. No, but I was in um, so preparation 2004 Olympic Games in Athens. We're in the village where we're, we're prepping. We're just about ready to go. And um, I was kind of at that time on the way out at Glasgow Rangers. Um, been there 12 years, you know, and it just kind of felt as if... Is that how know, long you were at Rangers? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, had the opportunity to signed for Blackburn Rovers. So they've allowed me, I've had to go and get all paperwork and all that sort of stuff to get signed out of the Olympic Village. What year was this? 2004. Yeah. To fly back to the UK to go and do my medical at Blackburn uh, to 
with a, with a view to sign. I mean, the, the personal details were were agreed. It was just about a medical. Goes there. I mean, I've, I had problems with my knee at that time. I'd had a few operations, and but my knee was fine. Um, anyway, they put me through the the normal testing. You know, on the Kingcom, uh, Cybex, Cybex. Yeah, and normally it should go up with a a nice steep mountain looking graph. That's that's yeah. what I was yeah. looking for. <laughs> you didn't pass the medical for the <laughs> mental. Yeah, because I, I didn't know. I didn't know it was a graph. So, but but halfway. I I think I'd get that pain in um, that, that would kick into my knee. When I was warm, I was okay, but I kind of they put me on it cold, and it would it would kick in and it would drop down, and you, it would you could see that there was a there was something. So that was the power not going up to where it should have been, and it was dropping down. It went dropped and then kicked in and then got back to where I, I needed to be anyway. So w- what ended up happening from that? They failed me on a, on a, on a medical, which I understood because at the time I think they had boy Craig Short. Had a knee issue. Big Lorenzo Amoruso, who I played with, had a knee issue. They've kind of said, "Look, your knees, your knees, not that bad, but we've got two or three that we're managing at the football club at the moment. So therefore, we're not gonna, we're not gonna pursue. We're not gonna kick on with the deal." I've come out of Athens. I've got all sorts of paperwork to come out and and, and go through this process. And I go, "Okay, listen, no problem. Understand that's business." But as you can appreciate. If this information filters out to the to the wider football community, I'm struggling for a every, move. Every club then knows the issue. I won't name the names, uh, the actual person. But no, this would never happen. That's exactly what happened. So that's why eventually I had to go from Rangers to Borussia Mönchengladbach under Dick Avocat. Was more to prove that I was fit, healthy, able to play football, to then get the opportunity to come back and sign for Newcastle. So that was a true story. You had a good Olympics. How tough was it going back and getting yourself through the disappointment? I couldn't walk for two days after the the medical because again the the flying and like I said, my knee was wasn't wasn't fantastic. But but you could have managed it. I managed it. Managed it. But I, I understood. But now you have to, Dave. You have to switch off there and then. You know, I'm, I'm going back and you're representing your country. Um, and you want to give it your best. You you know, we got to a stage where we were, we were close to the medal situation but you have to you have to have that ability to just switch so off me- mentally you're flawed yeah you're, you're dejected you feel rejected and in that kind of situation but, but you turn it into a positive to prove that person and prove that club wrong to see you know what it is you missed out on a diamond deal you missed out on something potentially that should have worked interesting stuff uh, on the flip side I found it interesting what Eden Hazard said this week that uh, he said I'm not a Galactico yet and with the shoe on the other foot Bridgie what is it like walking into a dressing room trying to prove yourself for the first time particularly when you're in a galaxy of stars like Eden Hazard is and he hasn't flown from the get go yeah it's very tough and um, when I read that comment I, I did have a chuckle because I signed for Leeds United for £5.5 million and I was basically a Sunderland reserve player playing second fiddle to Kevin Phillips and Niall Quinn I've said that one before and you pinch yourself when you're in that environment and you go to a club like Leeds United in the Premier League challenging for they're in the Europa League uh, European League back then the UEFA challenging for a top four spot to get into the Champions League I'm thinking what am I actually doing here you know I'm looking around we've got Harry Kuehl next to us Jonathan Woodgate you've got Nigel Martin David Batty all very established boyer, very established players in the league and I'm thinking I don't think I belong here. So I had the mindset, I was not, I'm not going to say we were Galacticos, but some of the players were superstars. I was nowhere near their calibre. And I had to earn the right. And how I earned the right by doing that was getting my head down and working damn hard and trying to get the fitness levels because week one and two in pre-season, I realised I was a million miles away from where these players were fitness-wise. 
and I went and had a chat with David O'Leary and he said you need to do double sessions for God knows how long son before you can get anywhere right. near and I did and I knuckled down the first game against Derby County it was a nil-nil draw I had an absolute nightmare I felt the pressure at Elland Road and I thought I was right my mindset was I don't belong here second game away hat-trick David Batty said well done all that hard work determination you're one of us now son and that was a massive relief for me and then I felt like I belong and it was but it was tough man I'm telling you I didn't when you got that mindset like Hazard hasn't he, he's a world-class player he knows that but he just doesn't feel that he's fitting in because he hasn't got the game by the scruff of the neck. He'll have a worldly game and he will get his confidence. Yeah, that's no, it's an interesting one because also physically, Hazard's not yeah. where we know that he can be, but that, that, that will all flow. But it doesn't matter what level you're talking about. When you make a move, that first week is an absolute disaster. You know, Unless you know a lot of boys at the club, you're going in and it's like, it's like first day at school. You know, you you got to go in. It does. If you're if you're a big signing, you got all the boys watching, and 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 I you know I hear stories about Crouchy and all that sort of stuff, and he goes on about Stevie G and all that sort of stuff when they're at Liverpool and all that. Stevie G, massive name at Liverpool. And when new signings, and we used to do it at Rangers as well. New signings come in that first week. You're testing them. You're throwing all sorts at them to see what they've got in their locker. Unfortunately, you see some people fold, but at the same time, we've been through that process, and and. You've got to be thick-skinned. A hundred percent, you've got to be thick-skinned. And, and, and Bridgie, there's, there's, mate, I'm, I'm exactly like you. I had to, I'm not talking about the, the, the talent side of things, but you have to have that mentality of you have to work your backside off every single day. You have to prove yourself to your teammates. You have to earn the respect of your teammates. Likewise with your coaches. And, and that's not easy, especially like these top, top notches and all that sort of stuff. They're going into the biggest clubs in the world and all the eyes are on them. And, I said, you get some cheeky boys in the dress room and all that sort of stuff. Oh, they're, they're, always, they're always going to test you. He said what? Speaking of cheeky boys, the last one of these is what Diego Simeone, who uh, he reportedly said uh, what Sergio Ramos said to the assistant referee. Uh, apologies. This is the watered-down version of it. Uh, a son of a bitch, which if you remember, Diego Costa got a massive suspension last year. Um, great theatre from the Madrid derby. But uh, I've got to ask you guys, on the G or PG rated version of this podcast, um, the best sledge you were ever a part of, heard, copped, has gone down in folklore. <laughs> there's been some banter between between players but it's hard to actually look back and pick out one big moment for myself that stands out on a personal level but there was something I just love the English fans and what they've got each team has one or two songwriters that manage somehow to come up with a song whether it's the about a new signing about the opposition they just somehow come up with something overnight it's fantastic and I I'm gonna. The best sledge I ever heard for David Beckham at Elland Road was when I was playing alongside Harry Kuehl. Posh Spice had just been engaged to David Beckham and she got that massive diamond ring. It was front page of the papers everywhere. So you've got the Spice Girls marrying David Beckham. It was, you know, glitz and glamour engaged. Um, before the game, we're doing the warm-up. All the fans would sing the old song and you'd give them a clap and they'd go through the team, you know. So Harry didn't get his song sung this day and you're kind of thinking hang on a minute it's regimented you know that you know what goes on you go oh this is a bit strange I wonder what's happened here and after they did the whole team then all of a sudden they just started singing the Leeds fans Posh Spice is a Leeds fan she wears a big fat jewel and when she's shagging Beckham she thinks of Harry Kuehl and I'm not kidding it was just the I remember looking over at the, to Harry 
and a few of the boys and we were laughing but then we caught eyes of Beckham on the far side just shaking his head going this is so wrong but it's <laughs> but it's brilliant man that is the culture and that is the banter that I really miss and he would have had a smile on his face at the same time though because yeah he that, did he that, was laughing yeah, that was the banter brilliant. He, but he had his head down with a smile brilliant stuff Rightio then, give us an answer. Right, two good gentlemen in the room to talk about this one. Maury, we'll start with you. Newcastle United are currently... I've got in decline uh, in, a, in a big, big way, which, which saddens me because obviously as a, a club that I spent a, a couple of years um, at and, and really enjoyed my time and continue to, to follow and support uh, what I think is a great football club with unbelievable support. And at the moment, Bridget, it's just it seems to be a, a club that um, is a bit of a basket case. You know, unfortunately, you, you have the, the, the issues over the ownership, um, which, you know, Mike Ashley's come out himself and said it's, it's, it's very, very difficult for me to kind of rebuild a relationship with the supporter base the way that things have been. It's gone. It's gone. And um, look, you, you've got obviously a lot of speculation over... Um, you know, whether whether Steve Bruce is the right man or not and why he was given the job and was he 12th, 13th in line. I, mean, I, I don't know, Bridge, you might know more than me, but what I'm sa- what I'm seeing, apart from a very good result against Tottenham away um, in the in the Premier League, we've seen we've seen nothing. We we we've seen we've seen nothing that is gonna get us excited. We've seen nothing that is actually gonna um I think give the, the supporters any real belief that there's a chance to stay up in the in the Premier League this season. It looks that bad. It, it, it is really bad. What really hurts me coming from that region and growing up there, um, playing for them and also playing for the rivals in Sunderland is seeing an empty stadium or a stadium half full because they don't want to go and show and support Mike Ashley, who they feel is just bleeding the club dry. Now, at the end of the day, if I am Mike Ashley, I am a businessman. I am making money out of football. There's not many people can say that. He is making money out of this football club. It's not what the fans want to hear, but as a businessman, is he doing the right job? Tick. As an owner for the fans and the football club of Newcastle United, the way he's treating the fans and the way he's treating the football club, it's a negative. But he's a businessman and a very, very well-organised businessman. Everything that he does, he makes money off. Simple as that. But the fans hate it. The way he's treated legends like Alan Shearer and got them out of the club and got them offside, it's a disgrace. And the fans are sick of it. And that's what's happening now. Why? Why? Why would he be getting... People like Alan Shearer, who who is an absolute god up in that part of the world. Greg, what he know. did not understand when he took over that he's from London, so you've got Geordies in the north, in um, north of England and Newcastle. You've got Cockneys from London. They started calling it the Cockney Mafia. You got Dennis Wise to become an ambassador and get get working for the club. Had no nothing to do with Newcastle United. Alan Pardew came up from London, got the job. Long, longest contract ever mm. at that um, time. Unbelievable. And um, the one be um, was it Joe Kinnear as well yes. came in. Yes. The fans are like, hang on, what's going on? Why are you getting rid of some of our local heroes and people that are in, in and around the under, understand the DNA in the community here and you are coming in and spoiling it? That was his biggest downfall initially and it's just deteriorated since then. And um, yeah, I agree. I, I think the club is, is doomed under him and the, the quicker Peter Kenyon, I think it is, is talking about a takeover, can come up with a 300 million to take it away from Mike Ashley. The fans are not going to put money back into this football club as long as Mike Ashley is there. How much does it hurt this region to be uh, basically a yo-yo club at the moment? Hugely. I mean, Netflix just did a thing on the Sunderland. The region, the people that live in that region, if the football club is doing well in the Premier League, the tourism comes. Everybody is happy. The whole community and region 
is a much better place to be. And, and if you saw the decline in the two years there, the fans hate being this yo-yo club. It is, it's a big club for the fan base. It's not a big club in, in, in trophies and in cabinets and things like that. But somebody could come in there. You've got a massive stadium. They own their own training ground at the university. It's a huge investment and a great opportunity for somebody to invest and take them to a higher level. And, and that's the thing. Until you have an ambitious owner, because buying the club for 200, 250, 300 million, whatever it's worth. It's a snip. Yeah, but, th- but that's not enough, Bridgie, right? Because then the investment that needs to go into this football team, because then you're talking another maybe two or 300. Like it, it's it, done properly. This is a, a billion pound deal to put Newcastle in a position where the fans obviously would love them to be. But like I said, that ambition and vision needs to come from... Uh, a takeover, new owners. Otherwise, like I said, just buying the club to, to buy the club and, and to, to continue to go about the business the way that they have been. The yo-yo club, unfortunately, yep. is, is something that is, is very, very right here in our faces right now. Everyone says, or a lot of people say, that oh, there's a bit of sympathy for Steve Bruce because he was in a no-win situation. But Rafa Benitez achieved overs with the same group of players. How, To what extent is he culpable or is he just part of, a, you know, part of collateral damage for it? Uh, collateral damage, but he's not going to turn that job down. You know, he's from the region. He knows the region, and he, he want you know to get this opportunity is huge. I think he missed out under Allardyce um, when he went for the job then as well. It's a great opportunity for Steve Bruce to turn it around. The bad side about it is when you've got some of the players in there. I think it was Michael Chopper, one of the ex-players, did an article saying that he'd had a, a message from one of the players threw the player under the bus, and, and <laughs> you don't you don't do that to say that. You know, we're, we're not learning anything under Steve Bruce. And then Steve Bruce reacts to Michael Chopra's message. You, you don't need that. Just brush it on the carpet and get on with it. But obviously there's an underlying issue with some of the players and the training methods that they've used and had under Benitez and now under Steve Bruce. But you've got to get on with it. You've got to want to do well for this football club. Interesting times ahead. It doesn't look good, uh, but uh, we'll see how they, whether they can uh, rally it all this season and whether they can stay up. That's the massive, that's the massive challenge. Do you think they will? Mm, I'm I'm saying no at this moment in time because the turnaround that needs to happen needs to happen quickly. Otherwise, you know, I've, I've also been involved in a bit in a, in a relegation dogfight. The brief time at, at Bayern, uh, sorry, at Borussia Mönchengladbach. I wish it was. You Bayern wish Munich. it was Bayern. <laughs> <laughs> no, saying that. But Wishful it, it, thinking. No, Borussia Mönchengladbach, huge club. I, I'm delighted there. But when you're chasing, when you're chasing, it's. It's tough. I'm going to judge Newcastle after January and see if there's anything happens with the takeover. If they're still in and around the relegation battle and they've got a few points clear, I'll say they will survive because something will happen in January. Ta- okay. you talk, sorry, you're talking about a takeover will happen in January? I would like to think so. Big call. That's a saviour. That's what they're holding out for. So it's a whoa, 2.30 on Monday morning. It's Manchester United at St. James's Park for Newcastle, so watch this space. Guys, jumping ahead to the weekend, which kicks off with, wow, Brighton and Hove Albion against Tottenham Hotspur, 9.30 Saturday night, all eyes on Richard Pochettino's body language, Spurs' rebound, can they bounce back? Uh, Midnight, Burnley, Everton, Norwich, Aston Villa, Watford, Sheffield United, West Ham, Crystal Palace, and the one, but for me, the game of the weekend, Liverpool versus Leicester City. And I think it's the game of the weekend because are Leicester under Brendan Rodgers the team that can knock Liverpool off their perch? We're going to see this weekend if Brendan Rodgers' side really, really, really are the real deal to stop four contenders. As a team, in a way, Leicester are playing. There's every possibility that they can do it. And if there's any man that needs more determination, it's Rodgers to go back and haunt his old club. 
And you think the job that he's doing and the way he's got Vardy ticking again, it's a very similar philosophy, a very similar style that the two of them have got. Um, so I'm going to say, no, Liverpool will still come out on top and be winners on this, but it's going to be, it's not going to be an easy, easy result. We, we spoke a lot more about, we spoke about Pochettino, we spoke about Solskjaer, we spoke about Emery. Um, that's why people are sort of suggesting that Brendan Rodgers might be able to get Leicester in the top four or top, top six. Do, do, you, do you think that'll happen? I think they've got a good chance to make the, the, the top six. I, I, I think they can make the top six. I, I think top four, I still think is a stretch. Uh, and the reason why I say that is I still look at Leicester defensively and, I, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, yes, it's okay, but I don't think it's great. I don't think it's it's of the not the level. I just don't think it's good enough to be in the in in the top four. Um, but in terms of what they've got, uh, the the, you know, the playing style, the way that Brend, all of Brendan's teams are, have played, and I hate to say that because even when he was at Celtic, they obviously they have this this style and this way of play, playing, this intensity, uh, creating a lot of chances. I mean, you look at the players that they've got. I mean, Madison did pick up an injury. Um, he, he should, hopefully, he's going to be okay for this weekend. Uh, we don't know yet. Fantasy players dream for the points he gets. Yeah, no, but he's... I mean, I remember watching uh, James Madison when he was at Aberdeen uh, a good few years ago and really liked what I've seen then. Uh, so it's been interesting to follow his journey and doing ever so well, ever so well. You know, we know that Vardy is a key player for, for them in terms of, you know when they can spin teams and when they can get in behind and really test uh, teams defensively with his pace. But Murray, that's credit to Rodgers because he's recognised that P- uh, Puel came yeah. in mm-hmm. um, and they, they changed the tactics. They didn't exploit that. And Brendan's coming and got them playing football, but also using his weapons and the players for what they're capable of doing. That's a sign of a... We know that's a sign of a, of a good manager. Tielemans in the in the middle of the... Mate, what a yeah. player. What a player. Um Barnes is is it Harvey Barnes? Yeah, good Harvey young Barnes. player. By the way, like him. And then even you look at the the, the game at the weekend, um, you've got Mark Albrighton that comes on against Newcastle late. And by the way, didn't he razzle dazzle? Um, was very very positive. Again, got that little bit of trickery where he, he can come inside, come outside. Fantastic delivery for I think the fourth goal, Vardy's header. So they got a little bit of depth as well. Um, so interesting, but I don't think they're top four. It's interesting because you talk about their defence. So far, the numbers stack up for them. It's What blew my mind, actually, was offensively, they're actually as clinical as anyone in the league. They're not actually creating as many chances as the amazing style of play would make you think. So you can look at the two ways. One is they've got room to improve, or B, they're, they're probably extracting everything they can. They can't wait to see which way it goes. And they've just lost one of the allegedly best defenders yeah. in the world, in Maguire, for that kind of price tag. He knew he had Johnny Evans just sitting there waiting in the wings. He just slotted in and Johnny Evans looks right at home. Yep, brilliant and, stuff. And who do you think's happier right now? Johnny Evans or <laughs> Harry Maguire? Oh. <laughs> so tip both Liverpool this weekend though? Mm, yes. I'm going to go a draw. Title race twist. We like it. Uh, that continues Arsenal-Bournemouth Sunday night at midnight. Manchester City Wolves at midnight. Southampton Chelsea at midnight. And as I said, Newcastle United, Manchester United at 2.30 for another bumper round of Premier League uh, on Optusport. Oh, here's a good yarn. We're going to end off with a bit of a laugh. Jens, I don't know if you saw on the weekend when Yeovil Town had not one ball boy, but eight ball boys sent off uh, in their, I think it's the fifth tier of English hierarchy football. Very, very funny stuff to 
punchline I loved about this, once the ref sent off all the ball boys, uh, he forgot that he actually had to go pick up the balls himself. So um, I'd just love to know as a bit of gamesmanship that, bit of gamesmanship that, well, I guess it worked because they won 3-1, yeah, um, yeah. but the ball boys are headed up the tunnel. Um, what was the best bit of gamesmanship you, you guys saw or experienced in your time? This would be good because he's got a few. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, a, a, a recent one in terms of when I was involved in Clubland. So when I was uh, the football director at Brisbane Raw, we were um, away down to, to Melbourne Victory. And it was uh, the back end of the season. It was a game that actually would have won us the minor premiership. We ended up drawing the game nil-nil. But I'm sitting up in the box and I'm looking down. There's about 10, 15 to go, maybe a little bit less. And the next minute I see Anthony Creer. I'm seeing Anthony Creer get up from the Melbourne Victory dugout. Physio. Strength and conditioning yep. coach at the, t- at, at the time, I believe. Um, so I see him, him because I know what he's like. Again, I've worked for uh, worked with Anthony for a long, long time. Is this pocket rocket? Pocket rocket. Yeah. So I seen him get up and start to veer down the sideline and all that sort of stuff. And I can just see him slowly in the ear of every single ball boy that they got around the pitch saying, listen, son, when the ball goes out, take your time, make sure the ball doesn't come on quickly and all that. So I could see him walking all the way around. So I've got from the box and I'm like, I've got to try and get down here just so I can notify the fourth official to say, hang on, listen, there's, there, there's, a, there's a bit going on here. So it was quite fun. I kind of, I appreciate it because I was like, that, that happens. It does happen at a, at a high level. Back into the game, uh, Spurs played Southampton. There's a moment where the ball boys got it and Harry Kane's motioning with his hands. Relax, son. Take, take your time. You know, we're, we're 2-1 up. It happens. Of course, it's all part of the game. And you know what it is? There's too many cameras nowadays for me to to be able to play the game I used to like playing. There was a goal I scored against Southampton in that hat-trick where there's a defender lying down on the edge of the box that was meant to be marking me. He's running back towards his goal. I used to love, you're going to hate this, a little heel flick. So you tap the trailing leg and they trip themselves up. And then I was free in front of goal and you'd, you'd score it. There was also set plays and corners where you might stand on the defenders. The toes so they couldn't get the leap or you give them a little ball flick. Back then, so they would like go down, and and then, so I've I've done little things like that all my career. I got a rude awakening when I came up against this man in the early for <laughs> Brisbane Raw, right? Because what he would do, the gamesmanship he would do was absolutely unbelievable. He pretend to be your mate, he'd chat to you, you'd yeah, how are you doing? Pretty great to see you. Yeah, cheers, Murray. And then the ball would be in the far side of the pitch, and I'll never forget. I went to make a run from inside to out, so I've just gone to kind of check on him. I've gone towards the ball, and then I've gone spin. to run him behind him, and I went to spin him. Mate, I woke up with a head wound because for some unbeknown reason there was a trailing arm just caught me off the ball as much as say, there you I'm go. Just gonna, I'm just gonna that's walk away. experience and that's gamesmanship, mate. So I got a he was good at it, Muskie was good at it, and I'll tell you there was another guy, Martin Keown. He was an animal at it as well. So um all these things go on and it's all part of the game. One of your best mates as well, uh Robbie Keane. Yeah. I don't remember when I was at Newcastle as well, when he was at Spurs, and he's, he's, he's dipped to go short, and he's, he's sp- and he's dummy like a kipper because, you know, th- that movement is incredible. Uh, but you know, eventually when I come back, you get a little bit more, more experienced, experienced, all that sort of stuff. I can see Bridgie going in, but I can see it, there was no real intent. He didn't want the ball to his feet. I knew he was coming. <laughs> you coming knew what back I was trying around, to do, mate. And then I give him a high five, high five when he spun in. <laughs> I don't know about an elbow or anything I think like they that. call it in the WWE the clothesline. <laughs> it was priceless, mate. And I thought, you know what it is? I'm not, so he put, it, he put the thought into my head. I thought, I'm not going to spin anymore. I'm going to go the opposite way and then come in short to get the ball. <laughs> oh, and what dude. did he do? So he came and took us out oh. from the bloody calves down over. 
great defending. I'm just putting a few extra cushions between us on the couch tomorrow morning. I'm going to make sure that the positioning is a little bit different. If as a footballer you respect it, yeah. it's all about the game. It there's you know every any little thing that you can use to your advantage to get the result for you and your team, and it's not it. All right, it's it's might not be in the letter of the law, yeah. but it's not take you know you're not trying to snap somebody mm. in two. Mm. Um, so I respect that. It's all good. Very good stuff, gents. Great entertainment as always. Thanks for your time on a long but entertaining morning for us here at Optus Sport. Great stuff. Have some rest tomorrow. Bridgie, we'll see you on Friday. We'll see you, Maury, on Thursday. Great Can't stuff. Wait. Cheers, Can't Dave. Wait. Enjoyed. Everyone out there as well. So much football camp on Optus Sport as always. So until the next Gag and Pod, as ever, enjoy your football.